Hello, and welcome to the Convention of States Legacy Podcast, a weekly program that looks back on historic content from our archives. We hope you are educated and inspired by today's edition. In this week's episode, listen to a rally at the Iowa Capitol from March 2023. Headline speakers include Iowa State legislators Bob Vanderplatz of the Family Leader, Rick Green of Patriot Academy, and the Honorable Ricks in Torum. We're here today because 235 years ago, on Saturday, September 15, 1787, in the assembly room of the Pennsylvania State House, now known as Independence Hall, the delegates to the Constitutional Convention were gathered, preparing the final draft of their great work. When they came to Article 5, Colonel George Mason of Virginia noticed and was gravely concerned that the sole power to propose amendments had been given to Congress. James Madison documented this in his notes, which say, Colonel Mason thought the plan of amending the Constitution exceptionable and dangerous. He said no amendments of the proper kind would ever be obtained by the people if the government should become oppressive, as verily he believed would be the case. The article was then amended to require a convention on application of the states, and Article 5 in its present form was agreed to without debate and with no one opposing it. Since then, over 400 applications have been passed by the states, the first one being by Virginia in 1788. The state of Iowa passed nine applications between the years of 1904 and 1979. It's not scary. It's not dangerous. It is part of our Constitution. It is a check on federal power given to the states, consistent with the checks and balances found throughout our Constitution. Over 49,000 Iowans have petitioned their state legislators to join the other 19 states that have already called for a convention to propose amendments under the topics of limiting the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, imposing fiscal restraints on the federal government, and placing term limits on federal officials. So that is why we are here today to tell our legislators it is time to pass the Convention of States resolution. Now I'm going to turn it over to our regional director, Catherine Zamani. Rick Green is a former Texas state representative national speaker, author, and radio host. Rick and his family travel the nation speaking on America's forgotten history and heroes with an emphasis on moral, religious, and constitutional heritage. Rick and David Barton co-host a national daily radio program, Wall Builders Live. Rick is an author and executive producer of Constitution Alive, America's most engaging and entertaining study of the U.S. Constitution. Rick and his wife, Kara, founded Patriot Academy. Through their Constitution Coach Program, they are training and empowering adults across the nation to educate their communities about the Constitution. Rick and Kara have four older kids and two, three grandchildren. They have homeschooled for 18 years. The Green family, is here to challenge each of us to do our part in preserving and passing the torch of freedom by living out our liberty as the Founding Fathers envisioned. Please welcome Rick Green. 
came on the backside. Okay. Well, good morning. Good afternoon. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being a part of the solution. This is what's going to save America. It's so important for us as citizens to recognize the power that we've been given, the duty we've been given, and that God's placed us at a position at a moment in time where we can actually make a huge difference. The nation is teetering between liberty and tyranny. And that little extra shove that we're giving it right now can push us back into liberty. We're not guaranteed that that's going to happen. I can't stand here and promise you we're going to save the nation. No false hope around here. History says at 250 years, you fall apart as a great nation or a great civilization. But America has broken the mold every step of the way because of the foundation that we were built on, because of the biblical strong foundation that we've been given 240 years ago. We're living on the fumes of it right now. We're just barely hanging on to it. And we have a chance to revive that. But it begins with us as citizens knowing the document, studying the document ourselves, and unfortunately having to study even the current constitution that we live under in America right now. So instead of having a constitution that governs the United States, we have this ridiculous constitution that no one can tell you every jot and tittle of and tell you every little thing about it. The entire purpose of a convention of states is to overrule the constitution and get back to the constitution. And the only people that can do that, that are empowered right here in this document to do that, are the folks in these chambers up here. Our founding fathers had the wisdom to empower those local state reps and state senators with the ability to restore liberty when it was stolen, when it they knew it would be stolen eventually because they knew the nature of man. And so the reason we're here is to encourage, to educate these, these public servants here to know that they have the power to get rid of the Constitution and get back to the Constitution. So I want you to be of good cheer despite all the challenges. I realize the American culture is crumbling all around us and we have a choice just like the 12 spies that went into the promised land. We can look at that rubble and we can decide to give up. We can go home and say, forget it, it's too hard, the giants are too big, the, 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 the cities are too fortified, there's no way we can win. 10 of the 12 decided to do that, a majority. And it depressed the people and an entire generation had to die in the wilderness. On the other hand, we can be like the two, Joshua and Caleb, they came back, saw the same giants, they said, yep, giants huge, never seen anything like it. Fortified cities, unbelievable but God's given us the land. Let's go take the land. That's the attitude that we've gotta have. We've gotta pick up the pieces of the rubble from the crumbling culture around us and rebuild the walls. Don't buy into any of this idea that it's too late, that you can't turn things around. Don't buy into any of this, these, uh, these folks that are afraid to do anything, walking out of fear. We haven't been given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind to think through these things, to reason, not to operate in response with fear. That's what we did for the last three years and allowed our nation to turn into a nation of snowflakes. We're not snowflakes. The DNA of Americans is made up of those young men and, and uh, men and boys, black and white, that stood on that Lexington Green on April 19, 1775, outnumbered 11 to 1. It's made up of those immortal 32 from Gonzales, Texas, that fought their way into the Alamo to die for freedom, where they were outnumbered 40 to 1. It's made up of the DNA of those men and women that ran into burning buildings on 9-11 to save lives. That's the kind of people we are as Americans. And Ronald Reagan was right. When the space shuttle exploded and he spoke to the children, school children of America that night, he said, the future does not belong to the faint-hearted, it belongs to the brave. It's time for us as Americans to once again be brave. If we don't become once again uh, home of the brave, we're not, we're not gonna be free. If we don't become courageous, if we don't take these steps to restore the Constitution, laid out very logically, very um, methodically, 
three massive steps that have to be taken. This is a fantastic system that our founding fathers gave us. Colonel George Mason knew what he was doing on September 15th when he stood up and said, we know the feds will get out of control at some point. We need a mechanism, we need a tool to put them back in their box and restore the proper jurisdictions, the proper balance of our checks and balances here in America. And he gave that power to these legislators. He gave it to us to ask them to do it and frankly put the pressure on them to do it and keep coming back and keep coming back until they finally do it. You know, I, 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 don't, wanna, I don't wanna be given to you know, hyperbole or emotion or any of that, but I, I've been doing this 30 years. This is my life's work. Uh, I, I love the Constitution. I love my nation. I'm telling you, if we do not use the Constitution right now, at this moment in time, we're done. We will not save this nation without restoring the proper constitutional jurisdictions. It's not gonna happen. The, the, these weaponized federal agencies that are coming after political opponents, all of that is gonna continue to spin out of control if we do not use the Constitution to save the Constitution. It's that big a deal. So folks, we either have civil discourse and convince our, our colleagues and friends and representatives to come alongside us and put the feds back in their box, or eventually this nation's headed to civil war. It's not good. There's a lot of, of uncertainty out there. We've been given the way to restore that certainty. Not to make it perfect, we're not gonna pass all the amendments that would make America look like we all want it to look. We're gonna pass the amendments that are gonna give the states back the power to make your state look like you want it to look. You folks in Iowa shouldn't have to listen to me from Texas tell you how to live your lives or manage your businesses or raise your families. And none of us, Iowa, Texas, Arkansas, none of us ought to have to listen to the folks in California tell us how to raise our, our families and, and, uh, and, and, and live our lives. So <laughs> under this system right here, we have a San Francisco cabal in Washington, D.C. that is micromanaging the lives of every American and telling you, you gotta let boys go into the girls' bathrooms and all these other sick, twisted, demented things. Let's get rid of that power that's concentrated in San Francisco, California. Give that power back to the states. The tools are right here for us through Convention of States. Now, whether this happens uh, this year in this session, which I think we have a great shot at doing, and I think people are starting to see. I was, a, I mean, I gotta admit something, don't tell any, any, of our, any, any of our folks, but I used to be against this. I was worried about all the things that people say they're worried about, because I hadn't studied, I hadn't gone in and studied the history of it and, 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 and really looked at the details of it. I didn't realize the amazing safety valves that the founders put in place. And, and now that I do understand those things, I've found that this is the tool. This is what can save our republic and keep us together instead of splitting up as a nation. And so I understand the people that are opposed. I, I get you know, how, they, how they got there. But at this point, everything they're afraid of happening through Convention of States is already happening in Washington, D.C. All of the good stuff that can happen through a Convention of States will only happen if we do a Convention of States. So I don't mean to sound like, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, we either do this or we lose the country, but we either do this or we lose the country. Okay, it is, it is that simple. That, this is that big of a deal. Now, let's get it done. If we can't get it done this year, we're going to be right back next year. I think we've got a short window of opportunity. And, and actually, I'll close with this because I know I'm gone over. Um, but the good news with all of the crumbling of the culture and all the bad things that are happening out there, 
is that we have a window of opportunity right now where more Americans are paying attention and willing to learn, take Constitution classes, come out and meet their legislators, do all the things necessary to save the country. We have more people willing to do that than ever in my lifetime for sure. And there's a window of opportunity where they're listening, they're willing to learn. We have a chance to go sit down with friends and family and people in our churches and everything else and have these conversations. So there's a window here where we can convert millions and millions of Americans to the principles of liberty if we'll step up and engage. So I'm gonna ask you to start giving even more. Whatever you've given up to this point of your lives, fortunes, and sacred honor, give even more. Now is the time to do that. We're in that window of opportunity. This is no time to sit back and enjoy the blessings of liberty and, and live off of the fumes of what previous generations did. Now is our time to cross the Delaware. Now is our time to stand uh, and, and against overwhelming odds sometimes. Now is our moment, this is our moment to stand guard at the Watchtower of Freedom. And if we don't do it, folks, history's gonna write a chapter on us and they're gonna say on our watch the torch of freedom was only dimly lit or God forbid, extinguished. We actually are living in a moment when Ronald Reagan's words about we could be telling our children's children what it was once like to live in America where men were free, we live in a moment where that could come true. I don't believe that's gonna happen though because I get to travel the nation and, and be with uh, great heroes and patriots like Bob Vanderplatz here and Rick Santorum. We were just in Kentucky a few weeks ago and I see crowds like you all over the nation that it, Many of you in this room maybe never done anything like this before. This is the first time you've ever been involved in something like this or just in the last couple of years. I'm telling you, there's an awakening happening in America. There's a groundswell of a love for liberty. And to have liberty, you've got to get to the foundations. You've got to get to the principles of liberty. I'm just a country boy, I'm telling you. You put garbage in, you get garbage out. You put good stuff in, you get good stuff out. We're ready to stop putting garbage in and getting garbage out and to get back to putting good stuff in so we can get good stuff out. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of this. One of the great pleasures of my job is to meet state legislators. And don't let anyone tell you that we do not have champion legislators out there fighting for liberty. It is my pleasure to introduce to you three great legislators, and I think, um, okay, uh, Representative John Wills, who is our sponsor in the House, you're going to hear from him now. You're also going to hear from Senator Jesse Green, who's our sponsor in the Senate, and a great champion, Senator Brad Zahn. Wow. I can't even see you. Thank you all for being here. This is a great uh, day. I'm so glad that and, and thankful that you're here uh, because this is where the rubber meets the road. You are where the rubber meets the road. Uh, I've had so many people say, well, why do we need to do the Convention of States? And somebody, uh, I can't remember who it was, said, I've got 32 trillion reasons why we have to do this. That's just one uh, of the reasons, $32 trillion of debt. Now, if the bell rings up, up if the bell rings upstairs, I'm going to have to leave. So that's why we're all here together, because I'm going to be taken off here very shortly uh, to uh, do my constitutional responsibility and vote. But I want to thank you. I want to make sure that I was here to thank you for being here, because this is needed. If there's any time in the history of the United States where we need a convention of states, it is right now. I'm going to keep it short, just in case I have to go. Uh, but two great speakers following up. And so um, I'll just say, come on up and talk. So, good, John. Mm. 
Well, thank you for being here today, and uh, thank you to all the grassroots volunteers who have spent so much energy trying to rally support for Iowa to call a convention of states. I'm honored to serve with uh, such uh, uh, champions as John Wills and Brad Zahn because uh, Iowa is now, our profile is rising for being a leader on so many bold issues, and this needs to be the next one. Uh, I'd have to admit, the last couple of years, it seems like every event that I go to, one of your volunteers is there, and, and I am so proud of you guys, and thank you for those efforts. I'm going to start my thoughts with uh, some thoughts from uh, the late uh, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, who shared some, uh, some very important insight on the Constitution in the Article 5 Convention. He said, quote, the founders inserted this alternative method of obtaining constitutional amendments because they knew that Congress would not pay attention to many issues that the people are concerned with, especially those involving restrictions on the federal government's own power. The founders foresaw this, and they provided the convention as a remedy. I cannot agree more. What Justice Scalia supported was a limited convention, which is what the Convention of States effort is proposing for the states to consider and pass. But there is opposition to Article 5. What the opposition within our party is scared of is an open convention, and they are right to be afraid of such a thing. But that is not what we and other states have been considering. An Article 5 convention proposes amendments on limited, specific topics that 34 states must agree to discussing before the convention is called. So what we have here is a battle of fears. Depending on what we fear the most will determine if we support this resolution for a convention of states or not. And I hope that the naysayers have been given the information that they need to, to help address their fears. But let me share with you my perspective. And it's not based on fear, it's based on fact. Citizens have a more positive opinion of the state legislature than their own federal government. This is for many reasons. One. This is a citizen's legislature. Your lawmakers here are here for a few months. Then we must live our lives, our day-to-day -day lives, under the laws we pass in this building. There was once upon a time that this was true for our federal officials. Their service in Washington was never meant to be a full-time job that is separate from their people. This is what fuels the desire for many, of, uh, for many people to desire term limits on our federal officials. Secondly, we are forced in the state to have a balanced budget here in Iowa. We are currently spending less than 90% of our spending capacity. The citizens of Iowa see this, and their trust in, in their uh, state government has increased due to this, and this is why you see the largest majority in since 1972. But Washington, they have no limits on their spending. They do not, they do not feel the pain of, of their spending. But you know who does? You do. We do. Because it's our hard-earned dollars that they're spending. It's very easy for a politician to be generous with somebody else's money. But in closing, here are some facts about spending that has occurred in my lifetime. I was born in 1984, and during that year, the debt was 1.5 trillion and 38% of the national GDP. In 2015, our budget hit 18 trillion. So we responded. 
We responded when we saw that that was the, the first time that our debt-to-GDP ratio hit 100% since World War II. And we elected fiscally responsible Republicans. But what did they do? They added another $9 trillion in debt. Our GDP ratio, to, uh, in comparison with our debt, will now be 133% by the end of this year. That is totally unacceptable. So common sense should win the day. And it says that the federal government is incapable of restraining their addiction to debt and printing money. We have done our job in the past by electing so-called fiscally responsible people, but they have failed us time and time again. Washington has heard our desires, but they are not being heeded. It is time that we cut up this credit card. It is time for an intervention from we, the people in the state of Iowa. And it's time for Iowa to be the 20th state to pass a Convention of States resolution. Thank you guys for being here today. Thank you and God bless. And I, I just got elected in 2020, and I'd have to say one of the highlights of uh, my lifetime has been to, to serve with uh, this lion, this champion, Senator Brad Zahn. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what you just witnessed is a rising star in the Republican Party. The courage that he shows is unbelievable. He's, he's been tested, and, and I'm so lucky to serve with him as well. So... Okay, there's this guy named Bob Vanderplatz over there, and there's this Senator Rick Santorum over there. What do those two people have in common? Brains and courage. Because it takes courage. Because you're gonna hear... You are going to hear from the naysayers, and I get a lot of emails on this, and I think I voted on this two different times in state government, Unfortunately, we haven't got across the finish line. But when I tell the naysayers there, they always talk about the runaway con convention. Well, what we're doing right now is a huge, huge problem. And it's, it's, it's a problem that, like Jesse said, we sent people to DC, they don't listen. This debt, is gonna kill my kids and my grandkids and kill this country. Doing nothing is a huge risk. And that's why I've always been for coming together as, as citizens to take over what they can't get done in Washington, D.C. My reply on these emails that I get to the state, from the state of Iowa people is real simple. We have 30, I have 31 trillion reasons why to support this, and we've got to get it done. I'm hearing some very encouraging things that are going on through the leadership of uh, Senator Green. So, you know, we certainly appreciate Senator Santorum coming here. I think you help a lot. And then obviously Bob Vanderplatz has really helped the effort. The reason why is they've got such a great reputation. And when people that have good common sense like they do are leading the effort, it really helps us in these chambers to get this done. But the most important thing is you've got to pass the word on to your neighbors and your friends and put the heat on both chambers to get this thing done. Because it is really important. If we do nothing, this country fails. It's that important. So I'm glad to be a part of this, and I'm honored to even get a couple minutes of your time. Thank you, God bless. Bob Vanderplatz is the president and CEO of The Family Leader. 
His passionate leadership for the betterment of America's family has earned the Family Leader the 2010 Family Champion Award. Bob's leadership and voice for the family is frequently noted and his comments are widely requested by vast array of national and international media outlets. He is the author of two books, Light from Lucas and If 714, a book about the need for prayer and revival. He has a passion to make a difference in education, healthcare, politics, and business. Please welcome Bob Vanderplatz. Well, good afternoon. It's a privilege to be here today, especially sharing the stage with, uh, with John and Brad and Jesse and obviously Senator Santorum and Rick Green as well. You know, I'm here in my personal capacity and it's, it's my privilege to say I'm endorsing the Convention of States initiative in the state of Iowa because I believe it needs to be done. I was gonna kind of maybe like you sit on the sideline for a little while. Just stay out of the fray, let this thing happen, let it play out. But then in my formal role of being the president and CEO of the family leaders Catherine just mentioned, I'm on a lot of national calls with a lot of national leaders, some of them that you would recognize their names. And when I get on these calls, the one thing that's commonplace is they keep singing, woe is me because of the federal government that they have to work with. And then I always get to be the ray of, of sunshine on these calls. Because I get to talk about the state of Iowa and what's happening in the state of Iowa and how much different would Washington, D.C. look if it was run like the state of Iowa. Matter of fact, I was so inspired when I got to hear Governor Kim Reynolds at her inauguration address. And she was calling out the Democrat National Party because they're going to bypass the Iowa caucuses. And she wasn't trying to belittle them or anything like that, but what she was saying is, we don't need more of Washington, D.C. We don't need more of the coastal politics like California and New York, but this country needs a heck of a lot more of the state of Iowa. And I would say we agree with that. So when you take a look at Iowa and what's happening here, if, you, if Chuck Hurley, my peer, was up here, he would say, this is the best session we've had in our history. And he said that two years ago and last year as well, because good things are happening in this state. And then if I go and I, I talk with Governor DeSantis and his people in the state of Florida, would America look different if we were a lot more like Florida than Washington, D.C. today? Of course we would. So what's happening in Iowa, in, in Florida, in Texas, in Arkansas, in Montana. And so I get a chance on these national calls to say, remember, the power is in the states. And the ultimate power is what the founder said is, we the people. We the people. And so the founders gave us this thing called Article 5. Article 5 saying, listen, if that federal government gets to be too powerful. And once they get to be too powerful, we know they're not gonna to wanna to give power back. They're gonna to wanna to keep it. They're gonna to wanna to stay in office. 
And that's why we say we need term limits. The other thing that they're going to want to do is they're going to take your money, because they don't have any, they're going to want to take your money and then hold you hostage while you go on bended knee to get a small fraction of it back for your purposes. So we need to rein in their power. And then just as Brad Zahn said, Darla and I have four boys and we have two grandchildren. And we're very concerned about the next and subsequent generations if you keep spending at this level. You will spend us into a third world country status. So why did I get off the sideline? Because I believe the power remains in the states and the ultimate power is in we the people. So when you ask who am I gonna stand with? Is it gonna be we the bureaucracy and the federal government? Absolutely not. But I will stand with we the people and I'm looking forward to Iowa being the 20th state to pass the Convention of State to pass these amendments. Thank you so much and God bless. One of the um, other great pleasures that are part of my job is to work with grassroots. And I work in, in Iowa quite a bit and I've got to meet some wonderful people. And I'm gonna introduce to you one of those terrific people who isn't sitting on the sidelines. He is the co-chair of the Dallas County Republican Party. Please welcome Scott Bates. Hello, everybody. Um, I don't. I wasn't planning on speaking today, so I don't have anything prepared. And I am just a citizen. So I come to you as a small businessman, of a dad of three Iowa kids, uh, as a Christian, and as a believer in the Convention of States. And when I first heard about Convention of States, I was driving my kids to sporting events, uh, listening to Mark Levin, and he's talking about it. So I'm a reader, and I'm a, and I, I want to know what how things work and why they work. So I bought his book, The Liberty Amendments. So, um, and I come to you as a citizen right now, actually, uh, more, more so than co-chair of Dallas County. But when people ask me what, when you work in the fair and people are walking by and they're in a hurry and they ask you what is Convention of States, we gotta talk fast. But, um, but really, I'm gonna give you a little taste of what it actually means where the rubber meets the road. Um, when it comes to fiscal responsibility per Mark Levin's um, blueprint, that's a 15% flat tax with no backdoor taxes, no value-added taxes, no national sales tax, no inheritance tax, um, and you know, preferably no state income tax. Uh, and Kim Reynolds is working on that. Um, and then there's a balance. Another piece of, a, of, the, of the blueprint is a balanced budget amendment, which is a true balanced budget amendment. You cannot spend more than, than you take in, and um, you... Uh, if you don't submit a budget, because we've been working for years without actually an, uh, an actual budget, if you don't uh, submit a budget by a certain by October 1st, I, I think is the date, and then a couple months later, if it's not approved, then there's an automatic rollback of a 5% reduction in spending across the board, which that kind of forces their hand a little bit. So that's the fiscal responsibility thing. That's what that means. That's what you're, when you're um, standing for COS, that's what that means. When it comes to... Um, curbing the power of Washington. What that means per the blueprint, uh-oh, I guess, the, does that mean I'm done? No, uh, uh, anyway, um, curbing the power of Washington, all executive orders that encompass $100 million or more, which is basically all of them. I'll give you an example, the, uh, the forgiveness of college debt, that's an executive order, that's about a trillion dollar deal. 
but every, every executive order that's 100 million or more has got to be voted on up or down by Congress within 100 days or it sunsets, which basically forces Congress to do its job and legislate, but still gives the president flexibility to move when there's a, when there's an emer in case of emergency. And the other piece of it is every third year, every agency, bureau, and department of the federal government, and there are 900 of them, have to be voted on up or down by Congress. So that means they're going to have to go through the books, they're going to have to evaluate what they do, and they have to decide if they're, uh, if they're necessary or not. I can tell you, Congress is not going to want to spend their whole year looking at 300 of these things a year. And for an example of how that might work, Kim Reynolds right now is, is shutting down. We have 37 agencies, bureaus, and departments in Iowa. Kim Reynolds is reducing that to 16. So this would, by, by constitutional amendment, require, well, I would say we'll go from 900 to about 60, which is a lot more manageable. And of course, the last one is term limits. Um, Levin says 12 years is term limits. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy says eight years is term limits. I like both those numbers. Um, but the, the last piece is um, a lot of people are advocating that they're from fear. There's some organizations that are advocating from fear saying this is going to be out of control. This is going to, they're going to, they're going to pass amendments to take away our guns. They're going to pass amendments to take away our, our God-given rights. Well, understand in order for anything to be amended, it's got to be ratified by 38 states. So if you've got... If, yes. So there's going to have to be some compromise involved, and actually some Democrat states are going to have to, be, have to agree with what happens. But honestly, um, taking back the control of our country is, is, is not really a partisan issue. I mean, it's something that everybody should be for. So I, thank you for, uh, for your time. I had no preparation whatsoever, um, uh, but I thank you, and let's, let's get this done. The last speaker you're going to hear today needs no introduction from me, but I'll give you a, a short little bio of him. Uh, he is just one of the greatest men that I have had the honor of meeting, and his name is Rick Santorum. Rick spent 17 years serving his country in the U.S. Congress but he never lost his commitment to conservative values, his love of his nation or his faith. Unlike many of his colleagues in Washington, Senator Santorum wasn't corrupted by the swamp. He made a name for himself fighting for conservative priorities like fiscal responsibility and the right to life. And his presidential bid in 2012 reminded the nation that America still boasts statesmen of integrity and conviction. He is the author of five books, including American Patriots, Answering the Call to Freedom. He now serves as the Senior Advisor to Convention of States Action. Please welcome the winner of the 2012 Iowa Presidential Caucus, Rick Santorum. Thank you. Thank you very much, Catherine. Uh, it is great to be back in Iowa. It always puts a smile on my face to be here. I, uh, I had a wonderful time uh, during, uh, during 2012, less wonderful during 2016, uh, but it was, uh, it was, it was really great uh, getting around to all 99 counties, and no, I probably still can't name them all, but I could probably get most of them. Uh, and I always do this when I come to Iowa, and I just have to say thank you. Uh, thank you for... Uh, 
for believing in me and giving me the opportunity to, to have an impact on the national stage by uh, giving me a victory, albeit a little delayed, uh, in, in 2012. And I always say this for all of you who, uh, who ended up voting for Mitt Romney instead of me, I told you so. Um, it is, uh, it's great to be here with, uh, with, with the leaders of the Iowa House and Senate. Jesse, Jesse's still here, but John Wills, who's carrying the ball over in the House, and Brad Zahn, who spoke very eloquently. And uh, it's, it's always an honor to be with uh, my good friend, Bob Vanderplatz, who, uh, who was one of the reasons I was able to make that last-minute surge in, uh, in 2012, and his, uh, his personal support and and encouragement was, uh, was just vital uh, in, uh, in that race. And uh, I would like to make the argument that, you know, winning the Iowa caucuses, we went on to win 10 more states, even though we were outspent 10 to 1. Um, it started something that was important for the conservative movement. Uh, the whole idea of blue-collar conservatism, of being a party of the working men and women of this country instead of the the elites that the Republican Party had always aligned with in the big business community. You know, that's the kind of campaign we ran in 2012, and and I'd like to I'd like to think, in fact, I know that uh, that Donald Trump picked up on that. In fact, I met with Trump after I wrote my book in 2014, and uh, and he said someone needs to run for president on this book, and I said, well, yeah, I'm going to do that again, and he said, no, no, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I should have known not to get in the way of that uh, steamroller, but. Uh, he, uh, he did it better than I did. So I was giving credit for that. Uh, but the reason I share that with you is, I'd like to give you the, the ideas. I mean, I'll give you another example. I wrote a book back in 2004, 20 years ago. It was a book called It Takes a Family. And I talked about how the left, next target was to destroy the American family. And they were gonna do it through destroying marriage and human sexuality. They were going to destroy the basic foundational pillars of our society. Everyone called me an extremist. They said I was a chicken little, the sky is falling. And the reality is, if I was wrong about anything, it was how fast they did it. And I share those two things with you is because I think there's two good examples in my life where I wrote books and I went out there and talked about things, saying, this is going to happen unless we as conservatives stand up and fight the battle that's before us. Now we have, thank God, people like Bob, Bob Vanderplatz who still stand for unpopular positions that unfortunately most conservatives have even accommodated to. But we've lost the battle of the family. We're now talking about birthing people, not women and men. We have lost everything, and in most cases, now we're fighting back a little, and thank God what we've seen here in the, in the Iowa House and Senate. But we haven't been willing to stand up and take the battle on, and so when you don't fight someone who is fighting, you tend to lose. And we've been losing. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of losing, not because I've just lost, I don't like to lose, but because 
People are getting hurt. We're losing, as Bob talked about, Rick talked about, we're losing our country. We're losing the truth. We are surrounded by lies. Someone puts on some lipsticks and cuts their hair and they say, here's who I am and you must accept my lie. We get lied to every day. It's the emperor's new clothes, but it's real. It's now, it's happening. And we sit there and we applaud the nude guy going by and how pretty his clothes are. This is destroying our children. It's destroying, the, I saw a poll that came out the other day, just yesterday, you probably saw it, that Americans no longer believe in what were, quote, traditional American values. Hard work, meritocracies, all these things that made our country great. Our children don't believe in it. Why would they believe in it? They're not taught it anymore. We are a country that is being warped in lies. And then we wonder why people do bad things and why things are so broken, why children are depressed, why suicides are up, why abuse is up, both drug abuse and human abuse. Because that's what lies get you. And so here I'm looking at saying, well, why are you here before us? Nice, nice talk, Rick, but what's this have to do with Convention of States? Well, one of the things I realized, and it took me a while to realize it because I was not a supporter of Convention of States, is I realized it just became obvious to me, actually through the last administration, that as much as I liked what Donald Trump did, I didn't always like the way he did it. I didn't like all those executive orders. I used to complain about all those executive orders when the other side did them. He did more than Obama did. I don't like all these regulations that don't connect to the legislation that's underlying them. You can't just rewrite regulations that have nothing to do with the laws that you're trying to enforce. You can't spend money any way you want to spend money, even though it may be the right way to spend the money. That's what kings do. That's not what presidents do. I don't know if you remember, but Donald Trump, early in his presidency, called for the end of the filibuster in the United States Senate would have destroyed the United States Senate and any chance of limiting federal government in the future. And I saw Republicans cheer because he was doing things we all wanted him to do. At that point, I realized that the Republican Party was no longer the party of the Constitution. They were no longer going to stand firm and try to limit government. Heck. Joe Biden's State of the Union address, he gets up and he starts saying, well, you know, Republicans want to cut Medicare and Medicaid. And what do Republicans do? No, we don't. We don't want to cut anything. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, all the, that's over two-thirds of the budget, and Republicans just, and it's the fastest growing part of the budget, and Republicans say, no, we won't touch any of it. And so how are we going to balance the budget? How are we going to reduce the size and scope of the federal government? Ladies and gentlemen, we've accepted the lie. And that is when a country falls. A country that is built on lies cannot stand.
We're no longer a house divided against ourselves. We are a house collapsed by accepting lies. And you know who the father of lies is, and he has never built anything good. So how do we get that back? The people. Bob said it, we the people. You can say, well, how do we trust the people? Well, here's the beautiful thing. Our founders, our founders, and people forget this, but you know, all of our founders were state legislators. They came from the states. The states founded the country. The country did not create the states. The states founded this country with state legislators who gave the power to state legislators to control the future of the country. And they gave them two specific powers to do that that would guarantee that the state legislatures, the people closest to we the people, the folks who were elected at the the, most, you know, the smallest districts who are more accountable to the average person, that they would be the folks who are in actual control of the country. You say, well, wait a minute, how did they do that? They had two provisions in this Constitution that did that. One, and I've talked to, believe it or not, I've talked to members here in the, in the Iowa legislature who did not know this, who did not know this. But up until 1913, the state legislatures elected United States senators. They appointed senators, the legislatures appointed senators to go and represent the interest of the states in Washington, D.C. I suspect some of you didn't know that. People talk about the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Lincoln and Douglas weren't running for the United States Senate. There was no race. They were out campaigning for state legislators. That's how they debated. They were debating national issues, but what they were talking about, what, were they were, what races they were running, was supporting House and Senate members in the state of Illinois. Well, unfortunately, the 17th Amendment in 1913 repealed that, and we went to popular election of senators. And I challenge every one of you, go home and look it up. Look at the federal budget from 18, uh, to, to, to the 1700s when, it was, when, the, when Washington was first elected to 1913 and then look at it since. It was this for 140 years. And then this since. One thing happened. Well, you can say, well, the income tax, that happened at the same time with the Senate. But those two things changed everything in America. And Washington has been gotten completely out of control because legislators in Washington want to buy your vote. And they give stuff away and they don't make you pay for it. That's an easy way to get elected. How many, how many businesses could you run if you could give all your stuff away and not make any pay for it? You'd have, you'd have the biggest business in town. Well, that's what we have in the federal government. The second provision was Article 5, which gave the power of the state legislatures to pass 
to propose amendments and then subsequently ratify them without any interference of Washington, D.C. to control and limit the power and scope of the federal government. I believe that the founders, if they came back today, and you'd have to probably drug them because they'd probably all have heart attacks seeing what happened to this country. But the reality is they would look and they would say, you know, we expected Washington to do this. Why? Because it's the normal human nature for people who have power to seek more power. That is absolute human nature. You've heard it, you know, absolute power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. But power leads to desire for more power. So they figured that one out. Here's what they never figured out. Here's what they thought would never happen. And that is that it, they gave power to people and they wouldn't use it to save the nation. Every one of these state legislators here in Iowa has the power to save this country, or at least try. And some of them will say, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. All I can say is thank God that our founders weren't afraid to stand up and risk their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to give us our freedoms. And what are they afraid of? They're afraid something bad might happen. Well, let me assure you, something bad is going to happen. It's not, don't be afraid of something bad might happen. Something bad is going, something bad is happening and is going to happen. And I got, I used to get really angry when I would hear members say this to me, but I've now come to a different point of view. And my point of view is, I'm glad they're afraid. Because it gives me confidence that when they take on that responsibility, they'll do so with humility. They're not out there clamoring to get that power so we can use it. That actually gives me some element of comfort. And I tell them, anybody, I've just talked to a member upstairs and I just said, he said, well, you know, I'm really afraid. I said, good. I said, good. I said, but don't let that fear stop you from doing the right thing, but let it be a cautionary tale to you that you need to act humbly when you deal with this situation. It makes me feel really good that it's taking as long as it is in some respects to get this done because of the reticence of good men and women who are concerned about what the consequences would be of their actions. Oh, if that were only the case in Washington. So when you talk to members, and I hope you get a chance to meet with your legislators, don't beat them up for being fearful or for being concerned or for having doubts. Congratulate them and say, you're exactly the kind of leader we need to do this. You're exactly the leader that need, this is exactly what we need in this country. A sense of the awe of the responsibility and humbly taking on this responsibility to save this country. The founders had it right again. They took these men and women who they know would shudder at the responsibility but then use it wisely once it's been given to them. That's what the message we need to deliver today, which is have faith in yourself, in your own reticence, to take on the responsibility that the founders gave you. They trusted you because they were of you.
they were state legislators themselves. And they trusted themselves in being the watchdog. Everything about the Constitution, when it was written, was about checks and balances. Everything was to check one branch, the other branch. That's what checks and balances. We think of it, the judiciary checking the Congress, the Congress checking the president. But the ultimate check and balance was the legislature. They were the ones who were going to be the final check, the ultimate check. They were at the top of the food chain. And like so many children who have been abused all their life, as these legislators have by the federal government, when the time comes to take responsibility over that abuser, it's hard to do. It's hard to see yourself after you've been abused all this time as someone who actually has the authority to do something to the abuser. Well, they have been abused. And as a result, this country is being abused. And it's time for people who have suffered that abuse to step forward and save this country. I encourage each and every one of you, please talk to your legislator. Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. And let them know the importance of this time. Iowa, I have known from my experience, is not afraid of leading. You actually go out of your way and you demand to be leaders. You covet that leadership. You are a leader in this nation. And I, from my experience and seeing the results of, at least on the Republican side, you have led wisely. And it's time for you to assert your leadership here for this country. We need, a, we need that squiggly digit. Get from 19 to 20, and that first digit get to 20. I think we're gonna pass two or three other states this year in addition to Iowa. We're gonna have, we passed four states last year, four, hopefully three or four this year. The momentum is picking up, and we need states like Iowa, where everybody comes through here, all the leaders come through here to speak loudly and save this nation. Thank you all very much and God bless you. To learn more, visit conventionofstates.com.